Hey everyone, Ben here with a quick interruption before we get into today's episode to let you know that we have been nominated for a Sports Podcast Award. Yippee! That is very, very exciting. We are actually incredibly honoured and excited to have that nominee. And you, the listener, yes, the very person that is listening to this right now can help us win a Sports Podcast Award and get us on the podium for once rather than always being off the podium. To do so, head to sportspodcastawards.com. Dot com, register to vote, click on the Best Olympic and Paralympic Podcast category where you can then vote for us to win. Now, you will have to listen to the other nominees as well, but let's be honest, you know you're going to vote for us because you're listening to our show today, which means we know you like us and we'd very much appreciate the vote in advance. Sportspodcastawards.com, that's how you do it, and we thank you in advance. And everybody who votes for us, we promise to thank you in our acceptance speech should we win. Right now, I'm going to shut up, play some music, and then you're going to hear me talk again as we get into today's episode of Off the Podium. Enjoy. They're standing and they're applauding that dramatic performance by James Orville and Christopher Dean. Alex Philodeau. It takes a lot to make him happy and he is clearly pleased. She's up. She's moving nicely. She's got it. Yes. Sally Stegel, 132.67 has won at least the medal. She's 0.24 up. Beauty. On the ice for the Gimlet. The Gimlet. Scoping. These golden games have their county moments. It is Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today. Once again, for an athlete interview as we get closer and closer to the Beijing Olympics. Another ski jumper for you today. We are speaking to American Casey Lars, who competed at the 2018 Pyeongchang Olympics in the normal hill, the large hill, and the team event. And this is a great chat with Casey, learning about him getting into the sport, why his club has produced so many Olympic ski jumpers, three of them in Pyeongchang alone and just some of the technical aspects in between the large and the normal hill when it comes to ski jumping and his hopes and aspirations for Beijing. There's a a very interesting stat which is brought up in this chat in regards to a very long medal drought for the US when it comes to the sport of ski jumping and just how close they may be to breaking this drought, getting a medal for Team USA at a Winter Olympic Games in the sport. So great chat here with Casey. You're going to learn a lot and you're going to hear it right now. Here is our chat with Olympic ski jumper from the US, Casey Larson. I'm so excited to be able to continue to talk about ski jumping here and off the podium today. We're on a bit of a run right now with our guests to talk about ski jumping. And our first guest today, who has actually been to the Olympics already, an American ski jumper competed in the Pyeongchang Olympics in 2018. And as we get closer and closer to Beijing, I'm excited to learn more about that experience, his career in the sport, and everything else in between. It is a pleasure to welcome to the show today, Casey Larson. Casey, first of all, welcome off the podium. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, excited. It's exciting to also know the little stat that you apparently are officially the 100,000th Olympian. 
which was a little fact that was dropped to you during the Pyeongchang Olympics. Now, how is that told to you? Like, does somebody just kind of tap you on the shoulder once you've landed after your first run and go, by the way, by competing that jump, you are the 100,000th Olympian? No, I mean, it seems pretty weird and it's convoluted. Like, it's, it's confusing to me. I mean, I got told at a presser, basically, like, a pre- like an interview, that I was like the 100,000th Olympian. And as an athlete, it means absolutely nothing to me. I don't think it's supposed to. Like, I couldn't care less. I should have, I think, in the, in the long run of things, I regret not playing it up more and making it more of a big deal and maybe gaining some some popularity off of it. But, uh, no, at the Olympics, uh, that was not at all what I was focused on. That's for, that's for sure. But it was cool to have that little, you know, Mr. 100,000 or whatever whatever they were calling me for a little while there. But, uh, but yeah, at, at, the, at the games, I was pretty focused on, on what I had to do there. But, but it's yeah. It's fascinating that the historian who came up with that knew that. So I'd like to think he was literally sitting there during the Olympics going, okay, this is the schedule. This is how it plays out. These are all the debut Olympians. And by the time we get to you, it's like, okay, I'm doing my math correctly. All right. If he officially goes 100,000, there it is. Like it's the, the stats involved in collecting that fact is, is incredible. Yeah, 100,000 is a big number, um, bigger than I care to know. I mean, I don't, I don't count that. I don't even know what that is. So for me, it's like, you know, it was pretty interesting that, you know, being number 16 on that day, I just happened to be the, the 100,000th Olympian, which is pretty cool. I mean, it's definitely not, uh, you know, it's not taken lightly by me. I mean, I think it is a big deal. And, you know, there has been that many Olympians throughout the years. And it, it is cool, but uh, but it's all, in the long run of things, it hasn't changed my life in any way. <laughs> <laughs> the IOC doesn't like give you a quick call and go, by the way, Casey, here's a bonus check for being so yeah, sadly, no, I wish, good. <laughs> Which I always love to find out, of course, uh, how our guests get involved in the sport. So your journey through ski jumping, sort of uh, how, how did you discover the sport that obviously ultimately has uh, kind of formed your career as an athlete? Yeah, totally. My, uh, you know, I started ski jumping when I was six years old. I'm from the Chicagoland area, the Northwest suburbs of, uh, of Chicago, about 40 minute drive outside of there. And, uh, yeah, we, we have a ski jumping club called the Norgi ski club. Uh, we have up to a K 70 meter. Uh, so a jump big enough to definitely get your legs under you and figure out the sport. And, uh, you know, we obviously have a big, um, a ton of jumps. We have a five, 10, you know, 20, 40, 70. So we have this huge, amazing junior program and, and junior club. And I was lucky enough to be with some teammates growing up there that, that were all really, really good. And we didn't really, uh, you know, a great club coach and just kind of pushed ourselves and, and, you know, didn't really realize until like high school, like, you know, that this could be a real possibility. And that, you know, cause I was, I played American football. I played uh, baseball, I played the cross. I did the whole, the whole team sport gambit, but uh, I think something just drew me to ski jumping. And then, uh, you know, was able to go to the Olympics in 2018 after obviously um, graduating high school in December of 2016, graduated a semester early, but uh, kind of since then it's just been, I made a uh, park city, Utah, my, little bit of my home base and and just have been kind of splitting time between park city utah and uh actually uh uh slovenia uh we live in Kron, slovenia where they have a rich history of ski jumping and, and stuff like that and our coaches are from there so when we're in europe which is kind of where the sport is based for the most part competition wise um that's where we live it's, it's fascinating to kind of learn just how young ski jumpers get started. That's one thing that I've really been interested in learning since we've had a few on, on the show because to me it's, it doesn't seem like it's a sport where you're talking, say, about American football, baseball, you can kind of easily go to your local field and pick that up. I mean, this is a unique sport in the fact you need a pretty unique facility. It's a bit of an adrenaline sport, and I can't imagine it's a sport that 
your parents are exactly going, hey, absolutely, Casey, please thrust yourself down a giant jump and potentially crash. I mean, how, how do you sell that to your parents as a, as a six-year-old? Like, I want to do this. My, my dad was saying that, exactly what you said, and then my mom was like, eh, no, 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 I guess. <laughs> but, uh, no, so you start so small. I mean, you start in these little, little guys, like little jumps that, you know, if you're – if you're skiing, if you're downhill alpine skiing at your local local ski area, you're you're finding jumps off the side of runs that are bigger than what you start on as a ski jumper, uh, which I think is a big important thing to say. And then, I mean, the gradual incline and, and the progression of the sport is so small that it may take, you know, four or five, six, seven years to get up to these Olympic side hills. Um, so, I mean, granted, you start when you're six years old, the progression is going to be a lot slower. You know, you might be jumping those bigger hills when you're 11, 12, 13, 14, uh, kind of depending on how you progress and how well, you know, you know, Obviously, how you grow and stuff like that changes so much. But for the most part, you're not jumping those big boys until you're uh, you're you're old enough to handle it mentally as well. I mean, that's a big thing. So, and then you trust your coach as well. So you're never your coach is never going to send you to a bigger hill unless unless you're totally ready. And I think that's the most important part of the thing. And what co- how coaches got to sell it to the parents as well. It's like, hey, we're not going to let your kid go off this 40 meter when he's seven years old. You know, it's going to take years to get up to that. So. At least for me, I know I was, you know, I was young and I think I jumped the biggest Olympics I saw, those K-120s um, that you see when I was around uh, 12, 13 years old. So it took me six years still to, to get up to those, even though 13 still young and dumb enough to not really realize what, what I was doing. But <laughs> Still crazy to me that you're going down a, a jump that size of that age. Do you remember the very first time you got on the 120 jump and what that feeling was like? I do. I Mine was in Lake Placid, New York, and it's, it's pretty intimidating because – uh, Lake Placid's jumps are set right right on top of the hill. You know, they're, the landing hill where you're actually landing is part of a big, nice, big mountain. But that's scaffolding. I mean, you're you're 200 feet in the air, just kind of sitting above the uh, above the clouds up there. So it was not un- it was very intimidating for a kid. Um, but again, I mean, you know, my coach kind of sat me down. I was like, "You're gonna jump this today. Like, you're you're ready." And I think I was. Yeah, it was like it's like New Year's Day. Um, I was 12 years old, and it was pretty pretty special, pretty cool. And wow. I still remember it to this day. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was sweet. You can find the clip did, on YouTube. All right. Okay. Well, we're going to find it. I was going to say, <laughs> did, did you land? I'm guessing if it's on YouTube, you landed, right? Because you've shared it. Yeah, I was, I was totally fine. And, and I, you know, skied away. It was, it was good. I, I landed fine. Perfect. Awesome. Which you sort of mentioning like Placid, you're, you're based in Utah at the moment. I mean, Chicago doesn't really seem as an area which I think of ski jumping. I mean, is it kind of, uh, you know, a big scene going on there sort of in Chicago with a facility that that close? Or is it kind of one of the more unique areas in the States where you've got a ski jumping facility so close to a place like Chicago? I mean, like we said, how do you get into ski jumping? Definitely a sport of location, right? Like, especially being from the Chicagoland area, randomly having a ski jump where I could bike to training every day is very special. Uh, you know, I grew up, you know, if I wanted, usually my parents drove me, but if I needed to, or I wanted to, I could, I could rip my bike about five miles just to training. So it was all pretty easy. And, uh, if you don't have that ability, if you're not, if you don't live that close to a ski jump, it's pretty tough to get into the sport. And luckily throughout the Midwest, uh, of the, of the United States from, from Chicago, all the way up to the upper peninsula of Michigan and, and stuff like that, you have, I think about what is it 15 to 16 active clubs that, that have wow. a junior program and you can go out and try the sport. So, you know, you're, you're obviously still a sport of location, but we have the biggest uh, junior programs, you know, in the Midwest, which people think is a little bit backwards when they have places like, you know, steamboat Springs and, and, and park city, Utah and Lake Placid. And, and, but, but for some reason we're quite the little uh, hotbed of ski jumping in the United States, which I take a lot of pride in, especially being from Chicago. And in 2018, three of my teammates, 
three of the four Olympians were, were from that home club. So I, I definitely brag a little bit about that. And, you know, when people ask that question, I don't get defensive, but I definitely, you know, like to make sure that they know that, you know, it's not a gag, right? Like, you know, we have a club where you can go and actually become an Olympian in the Chicago land area, which I think is, uh, it's pretty darn cool. Which is because there's obviously a large regional aspect to the States in any aspect of life, be it sport, be anything like that. So I guess you've sort of got the Midwest area covered, Lake Placid would be for the East Coasters, and then is sort of Park City mainly the West Coasters kind of are coming from that. I mean, I don't really know if many Californians end up going into ski jumping, but I'm thinking like Utah, Colorado, kind of those sort of areas. Yeah, you pretty much have um, Park City, Utah and Steamboat Springs, Colorado, East, or I mean, sorry, West. And then you have a lot of ski jumps in New Hampshire, Vermont, uh, upstate New York, uh, Connecticut. Uh, there are a fair amount of ski jumps and, and some big clubs, which is, uh, and they're, you know, in terms of numbers, they have, they have probably the second highest in terms of the region. And that's how we split it in the U.S. at the junior level when you're, like, competing against people. You got the Central Division, Eastern Division, um, and then you got, like, the Rocky Mountain and Inner, Inner Mountain Division. And then you also, have, uh, you also have a club up in Anchorage, Alaska, which actually oh, is wow, pretty nice. Pretty good kids, so that that's pretty cool as well. So you got Alaska up there too. Fantastic, because it's it's fascinating. We've had a couple of Canadian ski jumpers on and sort of learnt the fact that they've only really got the one facility now that they can kind of go out in out in uh, Whistler. Obviously, the Calgary one sort of is there, but it, it's fascinating to think as an Australian, sort of looking to that part of the world where we see a lot more success in winter sports and everything along those lines. That you would think these facilities are available, but kind of going back to your point about it's a sport and location, a ski jumping facility isn't something you're just going to go to your local council and go, hey, can we build a ski jumping facility? It's it's a pretty daunting task to build one. So it's it's unique in that aspect that you've got them, but obviously they're very unique that it's not like a baseball field where you've got 100 in every single suburb. You've only got, what, five to 10 facilities probably in the entire country. Yeah, I think in terms of actual numbers, I think we have um, upwards of... of- maybe high mid to high twenties in terms of active clubs in the United States, um, which is a fair amount, but yeah, I mean, obviously nothing compared and we don't expect to get the numbers that you get in these, in these classic American sports and stuff like that. And uh, you know, that's okay, but we still have enough clubs and we still have enough interest where we think, you know, where the, where the sport is at now, the results we are achieving now, I think is, is just hopefully the start of something a little bit bigger. Like, you know, by all means, the, the skill level I'm at, I hope that in, five, 10, 15 years, whatever it may be that, you know, kids are looking at me like, Oh, look at this scrub. Like he's, he's, he's not like, I hope that they're just blowing me out of the water and winning world cups and winning world championships and stuff like that. Cause that's the, that's the end goal of USA Nordic. And I think that's the end goal of, uh, of me too. If I, if I can't do it, might as well make sure that somebody else can. In terms of, you mentioned growing up, you were playing American football, baseball, lacrosse, did you have sort of aspirations to pursue a pro career in any of those sports? Was the Olympics something that kind of got you over the edge when it comes to uh, ski jumping? Sort of, you know, as a kid, what were those, those dreams to grow up to be? I think I think I was just the nicheness and like the the how cool I thought I was for ski jumping. I think and just the aspect of like actually flying through the air and you know being doing something that, that nobody else could imagine like that was such a big draw for me in, in this sport and the reason I always loved it and uh but I was I wasn't bad at American football and you know and lacrosse but I wasn't big either so I kind of got knocked <laughs> I just knew like hey I can play at the middle school uh high school level but you know I'm never gonna I'm never gonna you know take this anywhere else and I uh but so slowly throughout high school I kind of ended up quitting or you know taking a step back from some of those sports and, and by the end of of my last of grade 12 or whatever it would be. Um, 
I was pretty much done with, uh, with everything but ski jumping and just kind of uh, going all in. So is this where I ask you in terms of football and baseball, I'm guessing you're a Bears fan and then does, does that make it which, – which direction do I go in baseball here when it comes to the, uh, the teams? I'm a Cubbies fan. So oh, Okay, right. So I'm, a, I'm a Sox fan. I was only going to wear my Sox jersey just – but, again, I, I'm glad I didn't play it that way. So uh, lucky. <laughs> Yeah, you know, my I grew I grew up a Cubs fan, so that's kind of kind of where I've been. But uh, I'm not I'm not anti Sox, but obviously the Crosstown Classic, I'm I'm going Cubbies. But like you know, seeing the Sox do well this year is not a not a bad thing for me, which is going to make me a non-true Chicagoan. But uh, but hey, you know, I just I just like seeing <laughs> hey, somebody do good and represent. I, I was in the states in 2016. I was watching that game. I was I was rooting for the Cubs. I was like, I'm not meant to, but I can't not get involved in this. I mean, 26. You're graduating high school. You're watching the Cubs win a World Series. That must be one of the best years of your life. <laughs> oh my goodness! I got to go to I got to go to the um, parade. That was wow. probably the coolest thing I've ever done. Is going to the parade. Well, they called it the sixth or seventh largest gathering of human beings ever. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So I, I was, you know, I was just watching. I was just by the, I was by the WGN building, just hanging out, watching it go wow. down. Wow. Wasn't it like four, five million people or something on the streets? Or it was something nuts. Like- it was the when I say like the the train ride in and out from when I hopped on the metro to, to get back home. I when I say like I couldn't move, I couldn't move. Like there was, you know, they were packing those trains. I was amazed that it wasn't top heavy and falling off the tracks. It was, wow. it was pretty ridiculous. And then moving throughout the city was pretty much impossible. I know. We didn't even try to go into Grant Park where they had like the actual uh, stadium set up where they where they were talking to everybody. But I, uh, it was it was nuts. It was pretty cool. So I can't imagine. I mean, did they even have a million people on the streets back in two thousand and five when the Sox won? Like, I mean, it's kind of a bit of a discrepancy there, maybe. <laughs> and, that's, and that's kind of why where my allegiance lies. You know, I gotta. Yeah. Gotta, <laughs> the whole the whole hundred and ten years or whatever it was was I think yeah. you know pushed it over the edge in terms of fandom. But, but yeah, it was 100%. pretty percent. Cool. And I say I'll have to ask just quickly. Bulls fan as well then? Yeah, I like the Bulls. I got I got a couple of Bulls hats that I like to wear around. Um, nice. But for the most part, I, I'm definitely the biggest football fan. I definitely watch my Bears lose every week and <laughs> suffer through that one the most. Um, however, I do. I mean, Bulls and Cubbies. Um, again, not the biggest hockey fan, but I'll I'll be I'll be the anti Chicago one where you know I'll be I'll be a playoff fan with yep. with pretty much with every team. But uh, but Bulls are looking good this year, so I'm not. I'm not they are. Good. Time recording this was their best start in 25 years. I, I'm sort of one of these people as an Australian and in some of the competitions, I have to have an American and a Canadian team. So I'm a, I'm a Bulls fan uh, and a Raptors fan. And okay. I mean, I grew up in the 90s. You could not be a Bulls fan growing up in the 90s, but um, I've, I've stuck with them and uh, it's been interesting. I'm generally the last 10 years been like, okay, the Raptors are doing well. Let's focus on the Raptors. But now <laughs> all of a sudden it's like, hey, the Bulls, what's going on? I'm not used to this. 2010, you know, Derek Rose. Yeah, that's the last I'm time I remember that going well. <laughs> I love it. And I love that new, I mean, like we got, we're kind of rallying around. I mean, what, we're 4-0, and you know, it's the yeah. you know, games just started like two weeks ago, but uh but seeing like Ben Caruso, like it's a whole new team for me, right? Like it's yeah. guys I've never seen before. But uh, watching like Ben Caruso go and dunk on some people has been pretty funny, and I love love to see that just with his bald head and white headband. <laughs> it's pretty funny, but uh, it's yeah, sweet. Hey, we needed it. I mean, there's not in Chicago. There's not a lot of like we sell at stadiums no matter what. Uh, you know, the owners can pretty much do whatever they want and just make banks. So if I'm getting political. I, I love seeing a good Chicago team and, and actually somebody put some money into the, into a team and, and get some players, so it's, it's sweet. It's one of my favorite cities in the States. My first ever trip, I remember when I was 23, I, I put that on my list as as one of my cities to go to. And 
I just absolutely loved every aspect of Chicago. I, I mean, I'm a massive fan of, of New York, but I mean, Chicago's up there. It's just such a great city. So um, it's definitely a place that I know a lot of Australians don't often go to. They sort of just do the LA, they do, you know, Vegas yeah, and New York and that. But Chicago is a city that I, I couldn't recommend highly enough for anybody who's listening who hasn't been there. I mean, it's your home. I'm sure you're going to sell it off quite well as well. There's something about it. You got to be good at, you know, taking some taking some shit for some people. You know, you're not gonna <laughs> you're not following the rules. You're gonna get yelled at, just like New York. It's like anything else. But uh, and you know, as a suburban suburban kid, I I go there and get yelled at too. So he's a guy. You got to learn to deal with it. But uh, but yeah, you know, I love the city. I go home when I can and you know enjoy it and, and have fun. But it's great. So what was that decision like then to to pick up and and, and move to to Utah? Was it kind of just again that whole aspect of you're pursuing your your career now in ski jumping that that was the best move for you? Yeah, I think I think for me it was it was a little bit of I mean I do go to school at the University of Utah down in Salt Lake City, um, so I take some mostly I, I do classes online there and they're great about it. They they help me out. They help pretty much my some of my most of my teammates seem to go to the University of Utah. And, and have some success there and, and they work with them super well. So part of it was that, you know, I started, started college and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, for the most part, it was like, here's the next, the next four years of your life are you know going to be committed to ski jumping for sure. Like I already kind of bought in and, and made sure that it was going to happen. So uh, that, that was a big part of it, you know, just set up a home base and uh, you know, training wise, it was definitely better than Chicago at the level I'd gotten to for training. Um, and I, that was kind of it. It was just like, Hey, if, if this is what it's going to take, this is what it's going to take. And, and, you know, you're going to, you're going to go do it. Uh, looking back on it, I definitely don't regret it. I love it here. Um, you know, mountain biking, road biking, skiing, whatever I want to do. I mean, it, it's here for me. It's, it, it's, it's not too bad. Cause there's always an escape, right. You know, I've gotten way into trail running, way into whatever, you know, all these mountain sports and, and definitely offers a little bit of a training escape, you know, like, Hey, I'm still making myself a better ski jumper, still making myself a better athlete, but um, you know, offering myself an escape and, and, and a way to kind of get out of the, uh, what do I want to call it? Um, as a ski jumper, I definitely have to forget about ski jumping every once in a while. So having a way to do that and, and just coming out here and I've found those vices and I found that, that ways to do that. Uh, I think it, it paid off dividends for sure. In terms of competition wise, do you remember that moment when you first make Team USA, when you make USA Nordic, then you, you're representing your country and kind of what that moment was, was like that you've committed to the sport now and then all of a sudden you get to wear, uh, you know, the stars and stripes on, on your uniform and represent your country at a competition? Yeah, I remember, I mean, I remember my first ever like real true fist level competition was the basically if you're looking at if you compare ski jumping to baseball you know we have a world cup continental cup and fist cup at the world world level and to baseball world cup is is the um mlb and then you got triple a double a and i remember my first ever start on double a right i got i think i was it was 2016 um yeah summer of or sorry summer of like 2015 and i remember going to Switzerland and getting my butt absolutely kicked. I think I got like 60th place or something like that. And just was like, Oh, like punch of the gut. It was like, what was that? This is nuts. Um, thought I was way better than this, but it, it, that, I think that was the first time I ever felt like, Oh, you know, I'm not like, cause I'd always been Casey Larson, like one of the better kids in the country. You know, I'd always been like fighting for medals at like junior championships and stuff like that. And I'd always thought of myself as a pretty good ski jumper. And then you go and, get absolutely walloped by some by some Europeans and you're like ah there's, there's a lot a lot left of this part obviously so I remember just kind of after that being like all right well 
you know, it's not make or break at all. You have all these years to kind of start getting better and kind of start improving. And I think the next year I had, I had some pretty great results. And that, that winter, sorry, that after that summer, that winter, I went into the Youth Olympic Games in Lillehammer, Norway in 2016. And that was pretty sweet. It was a super small field. They only brought like uh, one kid from each country. So I was only competing against 18 people. Um, but I think I got sixth, uh, which I ended up being super proud of. I uh, remember like that was my first ever competition where I actually like felt a little fire in the belly. Where I was like, oh, I have a chance, you know. Maybe it was a smaller field. Maybe it was just like the cool, basically being at a smaller version of the Olympics was pretty sweet. So I uh, think I got sixth there and I was really proud of that. And then the next year I started scoring on that, on the Continental Cup circuit and stuff like that. And I started, you know, gaining some, uh, gaining some confidence on the, on the lower levels. Not quite, you know, got called up to the majors a few times, got called up to World Cup a few times and World Championships. I went to uh, World Championships in 2017. And um, every time I would go up to World Cup, it was a great learning experience. You know, you kind of got your feet underneath you, figured it out. And every time you went, you got less and less nervous. Uh, but then that next year it was kind of game on. Uh, going to the Olympics and everything was, was pretty sweet. Uh, but definitely at that age at 19, especially the ski jumper where it's a, it's a sport of maturity. It's a sport of uh, kind of like golf in the sense that sometimes the longer you play, the better you're going to get. So uh, you'll see athletes really hit their strides in their thirties and stuff like that. So at 19 to be able to go to the Olympics and like just experience the whole thing, the whole nine yards and uh, a, be able to call myself an Olympian is pretty cool. And B um, you know, hopefully coming up in 2022, it won't just be like, oh, Casey, good job for having like, you know, getting 35th place, you know, you know, at this point we're, we're focused enough and we're working hard enough where, where it's going for something a little bit better. Which I want to talk to you about the Youth Olympics because I always love learning about that experience because they're such a unique and fascinating event. Did, did that help prep you for what was to come in Pyeongchang? You mentioned, I mean, it's basically a mini version of the Olympics, but it's something that as a multi-sport event, you can prepare for things like village life and, and, you know, even I guess experiencing other sports that maybe you're not sort of generally exposed to when you're competing out there in world cup. So, I mean, did that help sort of the Pyeongchang experience eventually, do you think? I, I don't know. I, I think so. I think just competing on any stage, like the more competitions you get under your belt, no matter, no matter the, the caliber is, is super important. And Lillehammer was super cool. Cause it was like, for me that season, it was the only thing that mattered. It was like the whole, it was the goal of the entire season was to get there and qualify for that and, and kind of go, go in terms of, uh, and just kind of represent my country on a much smaller level. But, uh, but yeah, I think so. I think, uh, you know, actually, I think the weirdest thing that I'm going to say is to have somebody, to have people care about you that much for that short amount of time is very similar to the Olympics. Like here you are, you have a bunch of people that, you know, they're kind of invested in you for this period of time. And as a normal ski jumper, you kind of have your coach and you have your wax tech or your, your own wax tech or whatever. Most of the season, everything's the same. And then every time you go to the Olympics or world championships, you have a few more people caring about you. And uh, I think that's something that shocks a lot of athletes. And I think it's a big reason you see a lot of, if we get into the kind of the other side of things, I think it's a big reason that you see a lot of like post-Olympic blues and stuff like that. Cause like you're, you're brought up on this pedestal and then, and then for some reason right after you just kind of get let down and you've got to go back to your normal life in a way. And I think even feeling that in, in 2016 kind of helped prepare me for what that was going to be like. There's at least one competition every year where something like that happens uh, for ski jumping. It's like we have a world championship or an Olympics every single year. Uh, so there's always that like 
peak of every season where you want to be your best and are trying to be your best. And uh, there's always a little bit of a letdown after that. Does that help in terms of getting yourself ready every year? Whereas say some other sports where the Olympics is the peak and of course they're every four years, it's, it's a little bit different. So, I mean, having that yearly thing to look towards, does it help kind of get you ready for an Olympics if that makes sense? I think so. I think for the most part, I mean, even, even if I'm looking forward to this season, my focus is not even other than when I get to talk to people like you or talk to, or get to do some stuff with the Olympics, just because that is an Olympic year. Um, for right now, I mean, my focus is not, it, my focus is on Thanksgiving weekend and, you know, November 25th, which is for a month from now, it's my first competition of the year. And at that, from that point on until the Olympics, it's world cup season. Um, it's just a normal season for me. So, um, thankfully I've, I'm already looking okay in terms of qualification for the Olympics. So barring anything, you know, knock on wood or whatever it may be, I'm looking okay. So I don't need to focus on qualifying right now. I need to focus on making sure that I have my best season to date. You know, I've, I've, you know, that's been my big thing all, all summer is just making sure that this season, um, you know, I'm, I'm training at my best and competing at my best so that I can, you know, maintain and, and maybe in February even, even come up a little bit. So is that what you mentioning progression kind of as you're going through the sport, you know, kind of focusing on that so that if you've basically got in the back of your mind that, look, I'm pretty much going to the Olympics. It's about then setting myself a target of getting to the Olympics and I want to finish in top 20. I want a medal. I want to, you know, whatever that goal may be. Is that kind of where you can mentally prepare yourself a little bit differently to maybe what you did back in 2018? Totally. I think, I think the, the struggle of actually qualifying in 2018, uh, you know, what I had to do all winter long just to make sure I went was really, really emotionally draining. And, and once it happened, it was like almost like the Olympics were the reward. They weren't the goal. Um, the goal was qualifying. And then once I got there, I was just kind of like, Ooh, what's going on? Whereas now it's like, you know, if I'm, I'm going to go to represent my country and, and do the best I can, uh, and obviously very selfishly, like, I just want to do as good as I can. You know, I want to be able to, I want to be able to brag to myself for the rest of my life that, you know, Hey, I went to the Olympics and I had my best competition. Even if I don't win, it's like, Hey, I put down my best jumps that I did all season. And that was my goal is just to make sure that I went into uh, Beijing as fit mentally and physically as I, as I could be. In terms of just outside of the competition aspect in 2018, just the Olympic experiences themselves, I mean, do you soak that up when you're there in, in Pyeongchang? I mean, do you get to do the opening, closing ceremonies, things like that, and then maybe sort of, you know, back in the normal times when we can go and watch other sports, like where you're kind of soaking all that up around it, where you're so focused on your competition that you weren't really able to experience those things? Oh, I, I definitely enjoyed it. And I was told, like, hey, this is your first Olympics. So there's no pressure on your back. Um you know, for the most part, like I focus on my competitions, like, but what was nice is we had a, almost five, six, six days after our competitions, uh, that we decided to stay for the closing ceremonies. So after that was said and done, I mean, I just had a, an absolute blast. I went, we went to like, watch the, watch the hockey games, watch the, uh, curling events, you know, slope style, whatever it was, whatever I could get to, I, I went to. So I think that was super important. It was like, I definitely, uh, Definitely enjoyed my Olympic experience, and it looks like I'm really glad I did because this year, you know, maybe we go to the opening ceremonies, but it's looking like uh, there's gonna be, we're going to be kind of shipped out right after, which I totally understand. I totally support. So for the most part, um, you know, I'm glad I did that in 2018. I was glad, like, 
you know, somebody was looking out for me and was just like, Hey, enjoy it. Enjoy it while you can. Cause um, you know, it's, it's definitely worth it. So uh, looking into 2022, it's definitely gonna be much more of a business trip, but you gotta, gotta enjoy the experience. Like I, I love meeting different athletes. We're just stuck with the same, you know, five dudes all winter long most of the time. So being able to go and, you know, go see a, another winter athletes that's, you know, six foot three and 250 pounds instead of my, you know, five foot 10, 140 pounds. It's pretty cool to, to meet somebody that much different and just with that many, that different goals and doing that much different of a sport. But yet here we are at the same place. I think that was, that was pretty sweet. That was pretty cool. In terms of you saying before about you were sort of told it's your first Olympics, you know, a bit different. I love that sort of phrase you just used there. Now Beijing's more of a business trip. But in terms of your performances, so 39th in the normal hill uh, and then ultimately 53rd in, in, in the, the large hill, were you satisfied with those performances? Had you set yourself a different goal? Uh, I mean, kind of how did you leave uh, feeling? And I should have mentioned ninth in the team event, of course, too. You are part of that as well. Yeah, I think, I think my biggest regret is like not really going in with these big, like, like I said, kind of just being relieved I was going and like relieved that I qualified. I think my biggest regret is when I got there, um, not really, I obviously wanted to put down my best jumps and do as good as I could, but uh, I think mentally I could have done a better job. And I, you know, that's again, the learning experience kind of, kind of uh, going, not going through the motions in, in the sense of like, um, really just, I think I could have had better goals. I think I could have, uh, you know, been like, Hey, no, I want to get top 30. Like, or, or I think I could have, and then, and then not even so just think about the numbers. I think I could have just simply had better jumps. I don't think I went there and had the best jumps of the season. And I don't think I showed my best self at the Olympics, which is a shame. And, and I'm bummed about, but, uh, again, being 19 years old, just kind of going there for the first time. I think that that was a great lesson to learn. And I think I'm proud of myself for taking that away from it. And, you know, three or three and a half years later here, you know, I know that when I get to the Olympics, you know, not if, but when, you know, in, in my head, I got to think that way that, that I, uh, that I do the opposite of that. You know, I say like, Hey, my, I know where my best jumps can land me, whether that be top 20, top 10, top five, who, who knows. Um, but let's just make sure that I, that I am in control of my own body and myself that, that I actually go out and do that rather than, uh, you know, let those decisions sometimes be made for me by the wind or by the conditions or just how I feel that day. You know, let's make sure that I'm mentally ready to go. In terms of the normal and large hill, is it a sport in which it pays to specialize in one or because there may be somewhat similar that you can easily specialize in both? On the World Cup circuit, we mostly jump large hills. Uh, we'll jump a few normal hills throughout the year, but for the most part, we're on we're on large hills. So I'd say every athlete is kind of specialized on large hills. That's what we train on the most. That's like kind of what we're prepared for every weekend. Uh, that normal hill is a little bit smaller, but for the most part, like what I like to say is, if you're a good ski jumper, you're going to go far no matter if you're on a, a K70, K90, or, or K120. Like if you're on something smaller than a normal hill, you're going to be going just as you're going to be going just as far compared to everybody else that you would be on any hill. Um, it's a sport of technique, you know, you, so you kind of, kind of go with it like that. It's definitely, uh, you're jumping the same on every hill. So I'd say no, nobody really specializes on either. I'd say you train mostly on a large hill. Um, that's what I'm prepared for every season. Uh, however, I, like you said, I kind of like the normal hills. Sometimes I'm, 
I'm pretty strong. I think, you know, I think I can jump pretty high. So sometimes when I get to a normal hill, um, I, I, I'm a little bit cockier. I'm a little bit, I got a little bit more swag going into it, but, uh, for the most part now, I'd say if you're a good ski jumper, it don't matter the hill. And besides the obvious question of one being bigger, one being smaller, is it also a, a speed aspect to it too, that cause it's a, a larger hill, you're able to pick up more speed and kind of, is that why you see longer distances in the, in the larger hill than obviously we do in the, in the normal hill? Yeah, you definitely get more speed down the in run. Like in that first part of the ski jump, you definitely get more speed on a larger hill. Uh, and then obviously it's just designed, uh, the physics of it, you know, however geometrically how it was designed or whatever it may be, is, is kind of made for you to go a little bit farther. It's a little bit, uh, just a little bit longer landing hill. Uh, however, uh, but no, it doesn't feel that much different. Like, especially in the in run, like when you get in the air, sure, you know, immediately you're not going to be going as far as you would on a big hill. But the in-run feels very similar on pretty much uh, every hill, especially at the Olympics when the hills are right next to each other and they were designed at the same time, built at the same time. So I end up usually feeling pretty similar except for one just being a little bit less airtime. What speed are you picking up when you're going down one of those slopes? Uh, on, on the World Cup on a large hill, uh, you're going about 80, 80, anywhere between 85 and 90 kilometers an hour, depending on the hill, depending on how it was designed and the like wind speed and stuff like that. That's incredible. Wow. And I, I mean, that feeling, like I always love learning about feelings in sport, but like going down a, a, a jump that speed, flying for what, six, seven seconds and then nailing the perfect, like, I mean, that that's must be such a sensation that you probably still after thousands of jump in your career case, you probably still never get sick of. Oh, totally. I mean, I'm such a, it's such a drug for me at this point. Like, you know, if I, if I don't get to jump every once in a while, I go pretty nuts, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, every jump's so much different to me, which is awesome. Like everything, every single, even if I'm on the same hill, everything's a new experience. Uh, so for the most part, I mean, I just absolutely adore ski jumping and, and wouldn't trade it for the world. So, so yeah, you're talking to like the biggest fanboy of the sport in the world. So I mean, every hill I show up to everything I like to do, even if I'm not having the best day, I mean, it's still ski jumping. It's still pretty much no matter how far I go. And I, if I, even if I'm mad, I know that the common onlooker is like, Oh wow, that was crazy. Cool. Like, so I, I mean, I can, I cannot complain. People still think I'm pretty cool and crazy. So I, uh, I like to remember that every once in a while. That's, that's the, that's the main thing. I mean, look, as, as an Australian who barely gets to see the sport until an Olympics happens, uh, we've never had an Australian represent the country at at an Olympics. I don't even know if we've ever had an Australian at a world cup. I I have no idea, but I, during Pyeongchang, every night I was basically up to two o'clock in the morning watching it. And my co-host and I, Jared, uh, we would literally message each other. Are you up at two o'clock watching? So you jumping? Yes. This sport is amazing. We need to talk about this more. (laughs) It is a pretty cool one. I mean, it's, it's nuts. And, and I think TV, TV especially does a really good job of like making us look a little bit crazier than we are. Cause the physics of it is we're actually, you know, flying when we're flying through the air, what we're doing is we're kind of on ground ground effect. So if you've ever been in an airplane, you're coming into land. Um, when you, when you're coming in super, super fast, and then you all of a sudden kind of stall uh, before, right before you touch down, what's helping you land really softly is the uh, ground effect underneath those wings. And that's actually how we kind of glide over the ground. Uh, we're never that high. We're maybe between five and 10 feet off the ground just so we can. And then we're looking like a flying squirrel in the air. If you've ever watched videos. Uh, so we're just kind of cruising on that, uh, on that ground effect. And that's how we're able to put it down so far. And that's how we're able to like land so softly and gracefully, which is wild to some people. But, uh, but then if you watch a video of maybe a younger kid or somebody who's not quite as good as the sport, they're going to be in much less of an aerodynamic position 
go a lot less far and actually land harder. So mm. uh, when you're at that Olympic level and it makes it look so easy, there's a reason for that. And it's usually just uh, physics and aerodynamics. And, and we're able to just kind of propel ourselves uh, pretty quickly down the hill and, and land pretty easy. Because I can imagine there's always science going into the sport as well. I mean, I remember sort of in the, the late 2000s when technology and swimming suits became such a thing that they obviously had to ban the suits because the world records were getting smashed, but like not, nothing else between. But we learn a little bit with some of our other guests about the weird, quirky rules that kind of relate to the sport. I think the chicken wire and the crotch and all that kind of stuff. But like, is it a sport that as an athlete you can talk to scientists and people involved in suit preparation and kind of the aerodynamic side of things that you can look at ways to gain an advantage that obviously remain within the confines of the rules. Yeah. And those, those, those confines of the rules are always like ebbing and flowing. Right. So it's always an interesting, that's always an interesting question and, and uh, like an educated question too, because some people definitely don't think about that, but uh yeah, I mean, equipment-wise, since, like, let's say since Salt Lake in 2002, since my ski jumps that I, that I train on were used, um, so much stuff has happened. Uh, you know, for the most part, these suit rules that have come into play where you can only have about three centimeters of play on, on your suit um, is probably the biggest one. Uh, that just allows, like, I kind of use the flying squirrel. Uh, and you think about those wingsuits, we're not allowed to have that, obviously. They keep that very, very controlled. And then I would say the other biggest one is is kind of in 2010, I'd say is kind of when it broke through is uh, our heels can come off the ski. They always have been able to. Um, and then, but usually we, uh, we used to have back in the day, like back when I started, we used to have cords that would stop us. Um, right. But now we actually have metal bars that are twisted in so that when they come up to you, your skis actually flatten. Wow. Uh, and that just creates a little bit more surface area and allows you to be a little bit faster. So that's kind of the, one of the cooler, uh, one of the cooler kind of big design changes that you see absolutely every that just took over the sport immediately and everybody switched to. Um, so that's definitely the biggest thing since then. But for the most part, I mean, it's all about aerodynamics. We do a lot of probably once a year, once every couple of years. Um, the kind of the lessons that you learn in a wind tunnel carry on for quite a while. Um, so we'll go to a wind tunnel. Uh, I know la there's a cool one in, in Sweden where the wind actually comes from the bottom. So you can really feel like you're actually ski jumping in it. Uh, so a lot of teams will go there once or t once every probably biannually or something like that, just to kind of recheck in. Um, I went last year. It was, it was amazing. And you do, you do learn a lot. I mean, you could just see all these numbers and, and kind of put uh, a little bit of science to how you naturally fly, which is, which is pretty cool. Cause I've never, I've always just kind of done what my body's told me to do in the air. And then I'm just lucky enough where that kind of worked in the wind tunnel, you know, and then, and then you feel more confident after that. Do you ever wish, or is there moments where you can get together with somebody and put together that if, if rules didn't apply in ski jumping, you could wear the wingsuit, you could do this, you could do that and just see how far you could go. Cause I, I'm, I'm a formula one fan and I know some of the designers have often just created a concept car for this, for shits and giggles, basically like, okay, if there were no rules, this is what we could achieve in the sport. Is that something that has been looked at and, and see how far you could go and keep flying basically? I think so. And, and I think that, uh, they try and limit that, especially like not a lot of people. I've seen somebody jump in a, in a wingsuit. There's also, again, these are some funny YouTube lookups uh, for sure. Just like wingsuit ski jumping. It's happened. Uh, people have done it. Uh, but for the most part, uh, I'd say personally, I haven't. I just kind of, there are, I mean, there's pretty obvious, pretty much more surface areas better. And the FIS, the International Federation of Skiing, um, limits us quite a bit. I mean, we do have a, we have a really thick, nice thick rule book compared to some sports and, uh, we have to, we have to try and make our suits in the confines of that. 
but stretching the rules a little bit here and there, um, you know, who knows, maybe for a certain competition here or there, you do try and create a little bit more service there, whether it be in the armpits or the crotch or, or, or somewhere. And then, yeah, I mean, that, that exponentially can increase the lift you get. Um, so that being said, you don't want too little lift. You don't want too much lift because it, it can get dangerous. And, and we know that. So you're, you're always trying to uh, go as far as you can, but you got to be smart about it too. Which I, I love this aspect. You mentioned the crotch. I know we had one of our guests on and it was sort of a case of, is this a sport where it naturally gifts the the men who are maybe a little bit more gifted in certain areas? Or is it a case of you've got to like adjust it in a way that you can't have more than that three centimetres that you're talking about? <laughs> yeah, I'm not, not going to speak. <laughs> <laughs> it's too difficult, Ben. You wouldn't understand it. <laughs> Oh, it's it's it's, a, it's uh, hilarious much, that way. <laughs> pretty much, uh, once you become once you become an adult, you get you get measured once a year, or um, you get measured kind of when you think you're done growing. You're allowed to get you're allowed to get measured up until I think you're 21 every year, just wow. because obviously you're growing. Um, who knows the growth spurts and the growth patterns? But uh, once you're an adult, uh, according to FIST, you get measured. And then those are your measurements. They, they take your arm measurement, they take your crotch measurements, they take your height. And those are your, those are your measurements forever. And um, that's kind of how they patrol you. And that's, you know, if, if you, if they ever pull you into equipment control, they, they're going to uh, disqualify you or something like that based on, based on that um, previous measurement you might've took, you know, three, four years ago, but you always have that in the back of your head. Your suits wow. are designed to, for you to be able to pull those up just to that perfect, uh, perfect height. And then uh, hope some, usually there's a little bit of place. So you can get a little, a little bit lower before you jump, but for the most part, they're, they're always around there. And for exactly. me, so that, means, that means I'm 100 and according to this, um, I'm 179 meters tall, centimeters tall. I'm, uh, my arm measurement is 56 and my crotch is 77. So those are like my proportions that I have to, my suit has, has to fit to. That, that's a good thing to put on like a, a Tinder buy a crotch 77 centimeters. But yeah, like, is, sure. it a, is it is that sort of why you mentioning before about sort of peaking at a later age? Because I can imagine, as you're saying, sort of as a younger athlete, you're still growing. So therefore, you, you can't necessarily get to a point where you know that in the back of your mind, you might be a different, you know, height or crotch length or anything along those lines. So is that kind of where it pays off later on when you get older that it, that's where you peak a little bit differently? I'd say I've watched friends have growth spurts and have like kind of messed with them quite a, quite a bit, some teammates, but I was lucky enough to never have a growth spurt. I was just kind of the kid who like every year you'd be a little bit taller. It would just kind of grow. And then I stopped growing senior grade 12 or something like that. And I was, I was pretty much 180, like 180, 181, kind of where I'd, where I'd measure in at most of the time. And I've kind of been there and, it was nice for my ski jumping because I was ski jumping enough where it was never, I never had to deal with any big body changes or anything like that. Where, so I'd say, yeah, like if you can, I mean, I was lucky in that sense. I mean, but most athletes, even if they do have a massive growth spurt, figure it out pretty quickly. I mean, it might take them a little bit, but uh, you know, I've seen those kids that were great ski jumpers when they were, when they were, you know, five foot tall. And then all of a sudden they're like six foot one and they figure it out eventually. It, it only takes some time, but, uh, but yeah. You mentioned some of the sports you were playing growing up, the team aspect of it. So obviously, there is a team events in, in ski jumping. Uh, you were part of the, the team event in Pyeongchang, and there's now a mixed event coming into Beijing. What's that like in such a individual-based sport to all of a sudden be in a team environment? And, and what sort of tactics can you have in a, in a team ski jumping event at a major tournament? Um, 
I'd say the team event aspect of it, like how we kind of operate, isn't super crazy. I mean, we uh, it's almost, for me at least, a little bit more lighthearted of a competition. Um, usually you're, you know, you can rely on those teammates, but for the most part, like we're living with our teammates most of the time. Like when I'm in Europe, I would live with my teammates. Uh, we train with our teammates. So we're not, even though you're obviously trying to kick their butt every competition, you're never against each other. You know, you're never rooting against somebody. So um, that being said, like, the, the team event just kind of operates pretty similar to a regular competition, but you're able to like have a little bit more fun in the sense of like root on those people other rather than, you know, sometimes um, being a little angry when you're, when your teammate that you live with gets you, you know what I mean? You can, you can root for his really far jump. And then uh, the mixed team event super cool. Cause sometimes we're, we're out of touch with the female team and stuff like that. But uh, you know, obviously we, in world championships, we, we have had some mixed team competitions since 2017 or sorry, even before that. So uh, I think even Perdazzo or, or Fa Loon in 2015 World Championships might have been the first mixed team. So for a long time, we've had that dynamic, and it's always, it's always a fun one. Um, but then other than that, um, yeah, I mean, mixed team. Team events are, are great. I love them, um, and, and I, I want to do more of them for the most part. I mean, they're, they're a great addition to any weekend. I always love learning in sports if there's a level of sledging, a bit of sass going on between the competitors. Is ski jumping one that kind of as you're, you're walking past a competitor, you know, hey, Mr. Norway, you suck, and then just kind of keep on walking or something like that? I, w- I love trash talking. I remember, like, t- playing team sports, man. You, you, you got to do a lot of it. And it was always, like, after the game, you could always kind of just, like, let it go, you know. You, you always shook hands at the end of the game. But ah, in ski jumping, it's a pretty respectful dynamic. You're never really messing with anybody else. But – uh Sometimes I wish I could trash talk a little bit. It's pretty, pretty fun. But, I was going to uh, say, are there, are there some, like, I mean, you can name names if you really want to, Casey, but, like, are there some that you go, like, God, I just hate that guy. <laughs> no, I mean, hey, anybody that's better than me and is on the World Cup circuit and, you know, is competing against me on a, on a weekly basis shares the same experience as me. I mean, they're, they're slugging it out from November until March, so so they get it. Um, and they know how hard it can be. They know how those those – you know, those ebbs and flows of ski jumping can go and, and how one weekend you'd be at the top of the world and the next weekend you can barely be qualifying. So for the most part, no, I don't hate any ski jumper. And if somebody's angry at me or, or doesn't give me the time of day, you know, they're, pro- I mean, you probably know how they're doing. And if they're not having a good week, you just, you just kind of know. We'd like to close out with a series of fun sort of get to know your questions. Just before I get to those, a couple of quick questions. I, I love my stats. I'm, I'm a stats man and I always like to learn a little bit about, a country's history in a certain sport, particularly when I'm outside of that country. Now, I, I, I digged around. I wanted to say, had the States ever won a medal in, in ski jumping? And I, I learned that you have won in 1924 a bronze from Anders Haugen. So on that, how close are the States to breaking this? This is nearly a 100-year drought, Casey, without a, without a medal in the sport. Are, are we close? I might, you know, maybe I'll wait till 2020, uh, what would it be 2026 just so I can be like the Cubs. But uh, <laughs> for the most part, um, no, I think it, we got, we got a fourth place in 19 um, in Yugo in Sarajevo. Uh, mm-hmm. So since then, no, we, we've kind of been struggling to kind of get back to that point. And uh, you know, I'm not going to try and predict the future, but I mean, it's looking good. I mean, we, we got, we got a really young team. So for the next, you know, I'm 22 and I'm one of the, one of the old guys and Kevin Bickner, my, one of my teammates, he's, what he's he's 24 so he's the oldest one on the team so i mean you can imagine everybody else is younger 
And we're really just looking forward to uh, kind of keeping the sport alive and, and making sure that, you know, like I said, 2026 20, or 2030. And there's so much time that as an athlete, my career could, could extend to that point. So I'm not going to, you know, say that, Hey, I'm going to be the best in the world this winter, but at the same time, you know, that, that doesn't mean in four years I won't be and my teammates won't be. So, yeah, I think we're close enough that uh, hopefully in the next, next couple of ones, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Which, which, what would that mean to the sport? Because, you know, again, as an outsider, I look at the U.S. as this, you know, massive Olympic country that dominates in every single sport. But there are obviously sports where kind of, you know, you have something like this where you haven't won a medal. I mean, I look at curling from 2018 when the U.S. won the gold, how big that has obviously been for the sport in that country. But what would even just any color medal mean to the sport, do you think, kind of moving forward? It would mean so much. I mean, we aren't right now. USA Nordic is, a, is an organization. We aren't supported by U.S. ski team. We aren't supported by the U.S. Olympic Committee right now. Uh, we don't get any government funding. So we're kind of making everything making everything happen ourselves. And as athletes, that puts a lot of strain on us because the better the results, the, the better, the more we get. So um, kind of looking forward, it's, it's super important to us just to keep the sport alive and, you know, keep, keep kids wanting to come out and try this wacky niche sport in the United States that's you know, one of the biggest winter sports out in Europe. I mean, you know, we fill up stadiums 40,000 strong uh, before COVID. So um, for me as an athlete, I just want to like show how cool the sport can be to the United States. And I think if an Olympic medal is going to do that, then that's what we got to do. One thing I want to quickly ask you though, too, I believe you collect socks. Tell me about this. Is this, uh, is this a thing? And, and, and how did this begin? I, I tried to think like, hey, what's the dumbest or what's like the weirdest or not weirdest? I just started getting a lot of socks and, and, and you know, it's like I didn't I'm not a big gift asker. Right. Like so like when somebody's like, hey, what do you want for your birthday? I hate I don't like my birthday and my birthday's super close to Christmas. So I end up just like getting like this month of December where I just get like crammed and feel really weird. So I just be like, give me socks. Just give me socks. My size size nine US. Just give me socks. And that's what I get. I get a lot of socks. So. People, you know, it's it's not me being creative. It's other people being creative with my gifts. So. Which is it's one of those gifts that you sort of always end up getting, right? So, like, why not make that fun? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it's been. It's been great. So how many socks do you have and, and what's sort of the, the best pair that you – your favorite pair, I guess, you have? I have this pair of Wonder Woman. I'll grab them. Hold on. Give me a second. Oh, okay. I like the visual aspect. This works. It all started with the pair of socks that looked a lot like this, and then we bought them in a – I, bought, I actually bought these ones at a shop in Colorado and uh, I wore them all the time and they're a pair of Wonder Woman socks. They're just Wonder Woman bike socks. They're, they're, they're nice. just, that's who they are. And then uh, I wore a hole in them pretty quickly and then I bought the same pair of socks and have officially worn a hole in these ones. So they're, wow. If he wants to send me some Soul Cycle Wonder Woman socks, I'd, I'd love it. So you go, what was that, size nine US? Was that yes, correct, yes. Leonard? Yep, okay. <laughs> yep. Just just make sure to clarify that if people do want to send them to you, essentially. So kind of go the way. Is it, I mean, do, when you go to like competition, so when you're in Slovenia, you're in Germany, is it always a case I'm going to get a pair of like Slovenian socks to kind of add to the collection? No, because I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, uh, I don't I don't say I buy them as souvenirs too much. I usually just, I just like gather them. I just buy a cool pair of socks with CM and, and that's about it. Well, there you go. And this is where I've got to say then, you are going for the wrong baseball team. You should be going for the socks. Come on. Like, it, it fits in perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, as I said, we like to close out with some uh, get-to-know-you style questions. These questions are based on a Team Canada questionnaire they gave their athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang. 
and some interesting ones here. I'm, I'm, I always like to try and base these off an athlete from the same sport, but sadly Team Canada didn't put these to any ski jumpers back in Pyeongchang, or if they did, they didn't uh, sadly publish them. So I've gone with, of course, a hockey player. It's Canada. So uh, Laura Stacey is the, the questionnaire that I'm basing these off. So I'll start off with your favourite ever Olympic moment is? Uh, I'd say probably the Miracle on Ice back in, uh, back in like Placid. I, I just, uh, not obviously not a huge hockey fan, but you know, just the underdog story. And I've been to Lake Placid. I mean, I go to Lake Placid a lot. They got a, some great ski jumps there. So we get to go to the ice rink and, and see the history. So learning about that, watching the movie. I like that one. And I can imagine, I, I remember when I went to Salt Lake and I was like, take me to the stadium. Uh, what was it? Rice Eccles Stadium there at the university. And I remember seeing the, the cauldron kind of that the, the, the guys obviously lit. So going to the to the university and having that there, you've got that weird connection sort of to that history as well. Yep. Kind of works out that way as well. Uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, man. I don't know. I guess I'd like to like, um, if I could have some like gills and just be able to swim underwater. I feel like that'd be pretty sweet. I like, I like, I like, I like swimming. I like being in the water. So grew up, I grew up, uh, with a, with a cabin on a lake. So I, I definitely, uh, enjoy the water and being around that. So nice. I wouldn't choose to fly cause I can already do that. Thankfully. So. <laughs> yes. Kind of, uh, already took that off the bucket list. Now, based on your answer you just gave, I, I might guess an answer for this one, but I could be wrong. Your favorite sports movie is. Yeah, obviously Miracle on Ice is great. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that one. It's, it's, it's iconic. It's also niche enough or might, maybe people don't know about it and I feel cool, but, uh, yeah, I'd say that. Yeah. I've got to ask Eddie the Eagle. Are we a fan or? Oh, we are a fan. I mean, great for the sport. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. Um, but like anything, like if, if you're a professional in a sport that has a movie, you probably hate that movie just for the sake of like, some things aren't right. Some things don't work out. Some things don't look right that you would never be able to know the public would ever be never be able to know. But like there's some stuff in Eddie the Eagle where I'm just like, he's using the wrong skis. He's using the wrong equipment. That's not time accurate. This is a date. Uh, this isn't working out. So that's the only reason great acting great. It literally brought kids to the club. Like it brought kids into the sport. So if anything does that, you can't complain. I'm, I'm literally watching there going, Hugh Jackman's not American. He's not sounding correct. I'm not liking this accent. <laughs> What's he doing? <laughs> Which, if great, you want to compare it, though, great. James Bond did ski jumping in For Your Eyes Only. So, you know, any sport yeah. that James Bond can do, that's also a positive. Yeah, true. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I feel pretty good about that, at least. Yeah, always tick that one off there. Um, your funniest childhood memory is? Oh, I don't know. My sister was known for eating worms, so I always have <laughs> memories of her just digging through the digging through the um, dirt. But uh, wait, wait, was this like a, a thing? This wasn't just like as a brother you're going go eat some worms. She was just like, oh, it's three o'clock. I'm hungry. Let's dig up some worms. <laughs> no, there's just this iconic. She didn't actually eat worms, but she loved worms. And like again, out on the, the cabin on the lake, like we'd be fishing, and then instead of her fishing, she'd just be digging through the worm box, right? <laughs> and uh, and that's all I remember. Just that. And then there's a picture of her just with her hand, just a bunch of worms. <laughs> wow. Okay, then. Um, <laughs> whatever whatever floats your boat. Fair enough. Um, your favorite pump-up song is? Um, London Bridge by Fergie. Or by oh, Black Eyed yes. Yeah. That's Great song. I haven't heard that in years, actually. That's, that's uh, a good one. That's a very good song. That whole album, was that the um, the Duchess album, I think, wasn't it? I think so. It recently just came across, like, uh, 
you know, just I heard it somewhere and then I immediately actually pretty recently I had to add that to the uh, the gym playlist. Nice. I like it. Is it and also like when you're in the preparation, you're going getting ready to go up the hill, are you are you putting on the AirPods? Are you kind of pumping yourself up? Um personally I don't. I like to stay I mean I usually uh yeah, ski jumping is a large undertaking for me personally. Like mentally, you got to be in the right headspace. And for me, sometimes I like to make sure I take the headphones off and, and kind of just kind of be aware of where I am. And I usually warm up without headphones. I usually stretch without headphones and get ready for some reason. But uh, that morning or the workout before, I like to, that's kind of like when I get over overly focused and stuff like that. And then I get to the hill and try and keep it light and keep it easy. Which it's, I mean, you, you likened it sort of earlier to golf in some aspects, but it's not a sport which I kind of relate to maybe getting the crowd involved for the adrenaline. It's not like a field event at track and field where if you're about to do a long jump, you, you know, you put the arms up clapping. Like, I mean, is it is it that silence aspect at the top where you need to be focusing that you couldn't have somebody going like, come on, get involved. Let's cheer me on as I'm jumping down. Totally. I mean, you you can, the, the crowd's pretty cool and, and you go to these places with these massive crowds. But for the most part now, you're pretty focused in and you're, I'm definitely not like trying to pump the crowd because we're far away from the crowd. We're way up at the top of that jump. I mean, it, it's, I can I can obviously hear them, but we're definitely not, you know, in it, you know. But that landing, though, if you nail a, a jump and you get the crowd kind of the adrenaline pumping through, I can imagine that's a pretty special feeling. Oh, it's sweet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's good. In terms of TV shows, Casey, what was the most recent TV show that you binge watched? <sighs> I'm like a big fan of the classics, like to me, classic sitcoms of like my generation, like I mean, I watched The Office, great one. New Girl, watched that. It's a great one. But binge, what most recent one I've been watched, binge watched. I think, I not a lot. I mean, I'm a pretty busy guy, you know. And I got a job. I hold. I mean, I don't, I don't watch. I don't binge watch much. But uh, <laughs> I'm a big fan of you. And they just came out the new season, so I've kind of been chugging through that um, slowly here. So I'd say, right. I'd say you. I'd say, I'd say that's the big one. Great show on Netflix. But uh, yeah, I'd say I, I, I love the classics. And, and kind of stayed on that, that track. So when you say say The Office, uh, US version, I mean, do you, are you a fan of the UK version? So I've, well? I've watched the UK version, loved it. But I will say just the the sheer amount of content that the US version ones, yeah. I say that's definitely considered binge watching, whereas what's it's three seasons or three parts, yeah. I'd say for the two or three Only, parts. Yeah, at least one or two, I think, yeah, seasons. And what, US got about nine seasons, eight, nine? Oh, I mean, too many seasons, arguably, but yeah. In terms of uh, foods, I like this version of it. Rather than your favorite food, what are your least favorite foods? Oh, I'm a human vacuum. I can pretty much do whatever <laughs> you put in front of me. I can, I mean, literally, like you, you think you think there's some foods I won't eat. I've, I've, I probably would. Um, worms? Have you eaten the worms? Or? Never eaten worms. All right, never eaten worms. That's probably the one, the big line. But um, for the most part, yeah, no, I like foods. I mean, I. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I, I like every vegetable I've ever tried. I don't know. Wow. Maybe okay. if you gave me some obscure foods, I could say definitely not. But uh, Have you tried Vegemite before? Never tried Vegemite. Mm, but I've heard might. it's just kind of like this beautiful saltiness on top of some bread. If you mix it with some butter, it can it can be okay. Yeah, look, it's uh, as an Australian, I think the reason why I've lived overseas so much is because I get deported by saying I actually don't like Vegemite. But um, the, the <laughs> thing I will say if you ever do try it, it's not Nutella. So I think a lot of people look at it and go, oh, it's Nutella. So they just scoop it on and like heap it on a cracker or bread. But you, very thinly on it with some butter, it's not too bad. Yeah. Okay. It is salty yeah. though. It is very, yeah. very salty. So I think you're into that. 
I think I yeah. could get behind it for some reason. So, so we'll go for it. Is there a, yeah. is there a ski jumping food like a sort of a food that helps you in ski jumping at all? No, I mean the biggest thing is fat doesn't fly, so uh, you got to kind of keep that in mind. You definitely definitely the uh, skinnier body types, and if you are skinnier, you're gonna you're gonna go a little bit farther. So you don't need calorie count. You gotta gotta be careful of that stuff. But for the most part, uh, nah, just eat clean. Like like any athlete, like you know, you gotta follow a diet, and you gotta gotta make sure you're feeling good. So you know, clean foods. I do a lot of like brown rice and veggies, and and you know, make make little tacos out of that or whatever it may be. But a normal dinner, pretty much just looks like like your classic healthy plate, right? Like some protein. Um, I do tend to veer towards more of the plant-based stuff. Don't, don't have any, I don't consider myself a vegan or a vegetarian, but I do, do prefer the, the, the veggie proteins and stuff like that. So I'll do, you know, tofu, veggies and rice and, and, call, and call it good. Which then after you compete in Pyeongchang, do you allow yourself a moment to go to the village? And I don't know if McDonald's was still a part of the village back then, but just go, okay, fat doesn't fly, but right now I've already flown. So fuck it, just load me up with the Big Macs. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I definitely did not, uh, did not, I definitely went to the McDonald's, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> which, 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 as we've heard in Tokyo, no longer a thing, so you might not have them in Beijing, so that's, it's yeah, sad, I mean, there's no free Maccas. I have a comp, I have comp, I have a season after the Olympics, we do, we, we go until March 28th, so uh, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> fat doesn't fly, I like that, I, I like that saying. Your favourite chip flavour is... My favorite what? Chip flavor? Chip flavor, yeah. Ode to my Canadian friends. I love ketchup chips. Um, nice. We train a lot with the Canadians, so, so I've, I've definitely uh, gotten the opportunity to try some of those. But uh, sour cream and onion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're getting that answer a bit recently. I like it. That's a, that's a very good flavor. If you weren't an athlete, what would you be? I've been thinking about this a lot recently. You know, there's got to be a life after sport, and I'm going to have to tackle that at some point. But uh I'm not sure. I mean, hey, I love working with kids. Um, you know, every time I get the opportunity to coach, uh, I love doing that. You know, I've been injured a few times in the past couple of years, so I always like to give back to the sport. Um, so that being said, you know, definitely would not, you know, if, if sport wasn't a thing, if I would have gone to college, I, I probably would have found myself down a, a helping path, whether that be teaching or, or um, you know, maybe social work or something like that. Fantastic. Uh, your favorite vacation spot is? Oh man, I, I'm unoriginal, but I, I do love skiing. So sometimes instead of taking a post uh, postseason vacation, I usually just stay home in Park City and, and go skiing for a couple of days and, and call that my vacation. But uh, I do want to learn how to surf soon, so maybe I'll take a trip down to Mexico if the uh, if the bank account allows it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I haven't. I'm, I guess I, I don't go places warm too often. I, I kind of <laughs> from the snow. Kind of feel what that's like. So when you're skiing, are you are you downhill? Are you are you mixing a bit of the cross country? Maybe looking at the Nordic Combine one day, kind of uh, to look at that. Well, I did Nordic Combine, but then I kept starting in first and finishing in last. So I got the <laughs> I got the hints. Um, but for the most part, now I uh, I usually just downhill ski. Uh, you know, just Utah has a little bit too much of it, so too much to pick from. So I get to I get to run the gamut out here at the resorts. Perfect, perfect. Final question for you, Casey. What's something that people usually describe you as? Oh man, I don't know. I uh, it's a tough one, I guess. Super attractive is that? Is that, is that a that, good that, answer? That, that that works, of course. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, uh, Seventy-seven uh, centimeter crotch. That's in there, you know. Yeah. I uh, I don't know. I I I hope that people think of me as a uh, as 
in the happy go lucky sense of uh, sense of things. I definitely like to, uh, obviously I'm a, I'm a competitor when I'm, when I'm on the hill, when I'm skiing, when I'm an athlete, I, I definitely don't like to lose. Um, but off the hill, I like to think of myself as a pretty nice guy and, and can kind of definitely have some fun. That works. I like it. Case before we let you go, if people want to stay up to date with you, kind of follow your journey through to, to Beijing and, and beyond, where can people uh, find you? Social media, places like that? I have a Facebook athlete page. Feel free to like that. Just Casey Larson. Um, but not on that a ton, but definitely I, I love Twitter. That's, that's the stupid stuff. Casey 16 Larson. And then my Instagram is where you're going to find all the big stuff, all the soppy stuff. Uh, that's just at Casey Larson. And, uh, yeah, I, I like to keep everybody up to date, at least with stories a lot. Um, posting can be a little tough, especially some, I mean, just sometimes getting those posts out can be tough, but, uh, Twitter's, I usually have some pretty good content, some pretty stupid stuff, just getting tossed out there. And then, and then Instagram. Perfect. No TikTok yet. We're, we're establishing TikTok and kind of. I do have a TikTok. It. It's, it's got like a whole like 10 followers. I do have some content wow. on there. Feel free to like Great. that. I think that uh, at Casey Larson as well. If I'm, I'm just trying to see if we can get some sort of viral, if there's not already a viral ski jumper on TikTok. I think that would be a fun thing to, to do. I think there is. And I think he's like really young. Like he's like 14 and just like, wow. he's a pretty good little jumper in the US, but he's like got a ton of followers. <laughs> wow. Okay then. Geez, I really need to look into TikTok. I just I feel like I'm that old boomer guy on TikTok. What's that? So I uh, we'll, we'll get there eventually. Casey, it's been a lot of fun learning about your journey and and the sport and everything else. Best of luck for Beijing. We're going to be keeping an eye out there for it. And and let's let's break the drought. Break hashtag #break the drought for US ski jumping. Come on, let's 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 not make it 100 years. We want to make it 98 years. The drought will be broken yeah. in Beijing. I like it. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been great. And a massive, massive thanks to Casey for his time. Always great to learn a lot and uh, find out more about the great sport. I, I, I'm so intrigued, the fact that we had no ski jumpers. Now we're just kind of bursting at the seams with ski jumpers. And I, I love it. I love learning about all of these facts and stats as well. 98 years it will be without a medal. Uh, for the sport of ski jumping coming into Beijing. So uh, let's keep those fingers crossed that Team USA can crack that drought and finally pick up a medal. And again, if you've got some socks you want to send Casey, he's a he's a 9 US in sizing. So uh, get him a pair of socks. But uh, thanks again, Casey, to his time. More great interviews to come between now and the opening ceremony. Daily episodes now until the closing ceremony of Beijing with interviews and our daily recaps, everything. We're keeping very, very busy, keeping your ears entertained. That's what we like to do. And if you want to remain entertained, subscribe to the show. We're all good podcasts are found. Search for Off The Podium. Leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. And, of course, social media. Search for Off The Podium. And while you're there, like us, follow us, all those kind of things. Send us a message. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. And uh, stay involved so you never miss an episode and never miss any of our posts because we appreciate the support and we appreciate you listening. We also appreciate Casey's time. Thanks again to him. Thanks to you for listening. My name is Ben. Shout out to Jason Momoa. And as always, remember, go left.
What an episode. You loved every single second of it. It's been, again, just quickly reminding you once again, if you want to help us win a Sports Podcast Award, sportspodcastawards.com, register to vote, click on Best Olympic and Paralympic Podcast section, listen to the other nominees, and then go, hey, off the podium's awesome. They're so good. They put in so much work and so much effort, and we just love them, and they deserve to go on the podium for once. Ben's awesome. Jared's awesome. Colin's okay, but he's also kind of awesome. We'd really appreciate it. And particularly if you've actually listened to the rest of this and ended up here, because generally I assume you've well and truly tuned out by now. But seriously, if you're at this point of the podcast, then you're a true listener. And that means that you're a true fan and you should vote for us. Sportspodcastawards.com. Do it now. We will thank you forever. Literally ever. Like every episode moving forward, we will thank you forever. Sportspodcastawards.com. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll speak to you next time on Off the Podium. I'm really going to go now. Bye.